been with us this summer, or if not, welcome. We're so glad you're here. We've been reading through the book of Acts together uh, in a series that we're calling Church in the Wild, a study on the book of Acts. And the reason we're calling it that is because we don't believe that the book of Acts was a sterile Sunday environment that defined the church. But we believe that the church was meant to be lived out in the wild, meant to be lived out in your homes, meant to be lived out in the marketplace, meant to be lived out in schools and on vacations and every place that your foot steps, that would be you living out the church. And we've been asking the question, God, where is your spirit at work in the body of Christ? And where is your spirit at work through the body of Christ? It's amazing when you read the book through that lens, how often you'll see God coming and touching someone. I think so often when we share our testimonies, you're like, this was my life before God, this was the one time I met God, and everything's changed, right? But the the reality is, time and time and time again, the Spirit is meeting with the believers, empowering them, giving them gifts and strengths. So we've been asking God, where are you moving in the church, and then how are you moving through the church? How are you meeting the needs of the locals through the body? How are you spreading your gospel through the church? How are you seeing miraculous signs and wonders happen at the signs of the disciples, the hands of the disciples? And it's been such a fun journey. If you haven't been reading through the book of Acts, here's my encouragement to you. We still have a few of these bookmarks. I've got mine. We still have a few of these bookmarks in the Connect space. I want to encourage you after the service, grab one of these. Doesn't matter if you've read the book of Acts before or not. It simply says 28 chapters in 28 days. And if you're an on-the-phone Bible reader, it takes you to a QR code to follow along on the Bible app. Uh, But really the whole goal is this. We want to not just talk about this on Sunday, but we want to be reading this for ourselves. And I know even for me, I've read the book of Acts more times than I can count, but this summer it's come alive in a new way as I've jumped in and decided to read it again. So I want to encourage you, man, jump in. We're on Acts 12, but you can jump in at Acts 1, catch up with us. It's going to be a ton of fun. Well, we're going to jump in today to the story of Acts in Acts chapter 12. If you've been following along, last week you heard Clark, who we're so thankful for, come up here and preach about how God takes our setbacks and turns them into jetpacks. I got a text from somebody in this room saying we need t-shirts for that. I agree. If you know somebody, I will happily wear one that uh, the next time I am at church. Happy to. But I love the, the imagery that he put That with the power of God, we can take things that should be setbacks and allow them to push us into God. Push us into hungering for him and knowing him more. And and honestly, the story of Acts 12, we could just have Clark come up and we could just replay his message. Because it starts with a major setback in the church. We find it starting with James, the brother of John, being beheaded. Not a fun way to start a chapter, right? Not a fun way to start a story. And Herod, the man who had, had caused the, the violence to come against the church, sees the favor that he gains with the people. He sees everybody cheering him on at this beheading, and he says, okay, I'm going for the next prize. And he arrests what is possibly even a more uh, visible Christian at the time, maybe the most visible Christian at the time, he arrests Peter and puts him in jail. Peter was the the leader of what they at the time would have called a Jewish sect, this break-off of Jewish tradition that just recently had been coined Christians for the following of Christ, just a few chapters earlier in the book of Acts. And he says, you know what, I'm going after him. And he arrests Peter. And we're going to start reading this story together. And I just want to ask, we've been doing this a couple times throughout the series, but if you're able, would you stand with me for the reading of the word? 
Some of you guys, maybe this is weird to you. Some of you, maybe you've never done this at a church service before. But this is a, an age-old tradition that's been done for thousands of years, where when the Word of God is read publicly, the body of Christ would stand to honor the Word of God, to honor the Word that He's given us. And I just want to say that as we stand today, as we read Acts 12 together, that we're standing not just 200 people in this room, but we're standing with millions of believers in the past who have done this very act, stood up and publicly read the Word of God. So I'm going to read it and would encourage you, man, follow along if you want to follow along on the screen or in your Bible. Acts 12, verse 1 says this, About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was, uh, was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and centuries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light so shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly, and the chains fell off his hand. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. Some of you parents have done this. You flip the lights on, whack them in the side. Get dressed. It's time for school. Right? This time it's an angel. And he went out and he followed him. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. When they passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. This prison was surrounded by a wall with a big iron gate. And it opened for them of its own accord. When they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other, na whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing, recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter is standing at the gate. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept, and they kept saying, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the other brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. You can take a seat. Thank you, guys. Man, I can't help but smile when I read this story because we all love a good miracle story, right? We love when, when the, the good guy comes out in a miraculous way. You never see how it's going to happen. I can just imagine this playing out in cinematic glory. Peter slipping past sleeping guards and the angel, you know, walking. And then the gate just opening on its own accord and then walking through. And then the angel disappearing. Like, we love a good miracle story. Think about it. The Miracle on Ice, right? Very popular movie. Any Disney movie. Literally every Disney movie is predicated on some sort of miraculous thing happening. The story of the lost dog that had the poster on your, your light post in the neighborhood that gets found by their family, right? Or maybe more seriously, a, a person who overcame a diagnosis that they thought would never happen. We love a good miracle story. But when you need a miracle, all of a sudden you don't love that story all that much anymore. 
It goes from being, you know, GPG on, on Disney Plus to a rated R movie in your own mind, right? It goes to the depth of your heart. We're made to love a miracle story until we need it, and then we don't love it so much. Till you hear that your child has a diagnosis that you could have never imagined in your wildest dreams. Till you're faced with the fact that you may not be able to graduate, that you don't have enough hours, or you lost your financial aid, and you're having to question, do I raise a mountain of debt, or do I just hope and I wing it for the, the workplace and hope I make it? When you're faced with that, or maybe you lose your job, and, and you know if God doesn't come through, you don't know how you're going to provide for your family. My pastor growing up used to always say, everybody wants a miracle, but nobody wants to need one. Right? Everybody wants to be in the middle of a move of God, but nobody wants to be the person that needs God to intervene in their life. And the reality is, whether you've needed a miracle before, maybe that's the story of your life, that you needed God to break through. Maybe some of you in this room, that's your story today. You're like, I need my miracle now. I need God to show up now. Or maybe you're someone that is going to be faced with it in the future. All of us will have a moment in our life where we need God to show up, and we can't get the result we need on our own strength. We need a divine, miraculous intervention. Every one of us are going to face that someday in our life if you haven't yet. And our story in Acts today isn't actually the first time that Peter's found himself in this very situation. In fact, in Acts 5, Peter was literally in the same place in a jail. He was in a jail cell. It's a great story. You should go back and read it. Get the bookmark. It's chapter 5, so you've only got to read four days to get there. But we get to Acts 12, and Peter's being held in prison for what scholars believe is about a week. He's been in prison with his kind of fate before him. He's following the death of one of his closest friends. Peter, James, and John had been on the inner circle with Jesus, following him even closely than the rest of the disciples, and he had just lost one of his closest friends in a public death. It was during one of the most sacred weeks of the believer's life. It was during the, the week leading up to Passover, which as you now come to know is also what we call Easter. It's the day that we celebrate the resurrection of the Christ. So the believers in the church, it would have been a very sacred week to them, honoring both tradition and the way of Christ. And Peter's found in a jail cell. You see, a lot had happened since the first time he was released. Maybe you guys can relate to this. You've had your breakthrough moment before, but then life comes back at you. Life starts to happen again, and for, for Peter, a lot happened between chapter 5 and chapter 12. i just hit a couple here. First, he sees Stephen, the key piece of the helps ministry of the church, the one who had been assigned to make sure that the widows were cared for and the orphans were homed and fed. We see him publicly stoned to death, martyred in the church. He'd seen Saul brutally aggressive against the church of God, scattering the believers all over the world. That what they thought was going to be the central hub of believers is now scattered people to the left and to the right. Then miraculously he sees Saul come to know the Lord and he testifies that it's real. He stands up for Paul, Saul becoming Paul in the power of God. Then he sees the, the move of God. If you were here a couple weeks ago, Lindsay preached an incredible message about how the Holy Spirit came and filled the Gentiles. These were people that were not historically God people, but had said, we, we don't know about tradition maybe, but we want the ways of Jesus. And God said, I want to pour my spirit on them as well. And Peter is right in the middle of this story. And then just days before, 
again, one of his best friends, is publicly martyred, beheaded in front of a crowd. So we find Peter in a place that I think if a lot of us are honest, we could probably relate to. He's in need of a miracle, but too tired to do much about it. Can anyone relate to that situation in your life where you, you know you need God? You know you need him to miraculously move. You know, I can't do this on my own strength. No mind power, no ideas, no change of habits or rhythms is going to fix something. It's got to be a move of God. And yet, it's so hard to contend for. It's so hard to muster the energy to do it on your own. I love that Peter's miracle story starts in a rather unusual way. He's asleep. I don't know about you guys, but I would love for God to do miracles in my sleep. I'm like, great, take all the effort out, just sleep through it, and God, you walk me through whatever you want, right? Acts 12, 6, it tells us that the night before he's supposed to be ceremoniously tried, we all know, and it's through history, you've seen that the trial was more of a sham just to end on the result that the public wanted him dead, and he was going to be most likely killed publicly as well, just like his friend a couple days before. And on the, the eve of his death, he's asleep. That's all the, he has the energy to do. And I don't know about you, but I can relate to this. There's this modern construct, maybe you've felt it as well, of this perfect Christian, right? That when hardship comes, maybe you've seen it on social media, maybe you've propped someone up that you follow, maybe it's a pastor or someone who's discipled you in the past, that they're this perfect Christian, and the narrative picture of this godly Christian person is more like what we see in Acts 16. I won't ruin the story, but we see two other people imprisoned in Acts 16. And what happens there is they start a worship movement in the jail cell, and the Spirit of God falls, and they see revival happen. All of the guards and their family come to know the Lord. They host a baptism service, and then they start preaching the gospel, right? This is the narrative that we can tell ourselves when we get into hardship. I've got to be that person, Right? Or maybe for you, you see that influencer online that's got the scriptures on their mirror that every morning they've got the, I don't know who's videoing them. Somehow someone is videoing them, declaring scriptures over themselves. And even though they just woke up, they're already wearing makeup and they look great. And they're declaring the truth of the scriptures over themselves. And you're like, wow, you must be really strong. You must be really amazing, right? We get these constructs in our head of what, oh, this is what the perfect person would look like fighting for their need. And I believe that God can come through like that. I really do. I believe that God comes through in perseverance. I know that many of us in this room have personally stood before God and begged for a miracle, and it's happened, and God has come through. But I think, too, the reality is, if we're being honest, most days we feel more like Peter. We wake up, and it's like, ah, I don't know if I have the energy. I'm a little sleepy. I'm a little weary for my miracle. Maybe for you it's because you don't see the end coming. Maybe you don't see, you've never seen God move. Maybe you've, you have before and this time it's taking longer and you're like, God, where are you? We wake up weary, much like Peter. And I know for me, there are many days that, without a shadow of a doubt, I know that I need a miraculous move of God. Yet I can't muster the energy to pray. I can't motivate myself beyond just making it to the night and going back to bed. And I think many of us can relate to that. And if that's you today, I just want to say this. Nowhere in the scripture does God rebuke Peter for being asleep on the day of his miracle. 
Nowhere does, does, is he accused of being a lesser apostle because he's asleep in Acts 12. And if you're weary in your fight, I want you to hear me say that you're not alone. My wife and I, we've been there recently. Peter, the one on whom Jesus said, I will build my church, right? That's a pretty lofty calling. He's tired. And even though he's in desperate need of God to show up, he's found asleep on the day of his miracle. But I love what God gives us in walking in the power of his body. It's the power of this story. That although Peter was alone in his jail cell, he was not alone in fighting for his miracle. He was not alone in fighting for God to break through. Acts 12, 5 said that they were in earnest prayer for him before God by the church. Acts 12, 12, again, it says that when he realized it, he went to the house of Mary, one of the believers, and there were many gathered together praying. Peter was alone in his devastation and in his need, but he was not alone in his contention for a miracle. You see, although Peter couldn't muster the strength, the believers around him could. They had the faith to believe and pray on his behalf. And I love that the story isn't started with Peter being dragged to prison, grabbing one of his disciples and being like, hey, quick, go gather the, the house church, pray until I'm released. He's not seen, you know, shouting through the jail cells, guys, rally the church. No, he, in nowhere do we see him asking for this. It's the authentic response of the body of Christ. They knew that he was in need. And let me tell you, the body of Christ has been given to us to be strength when we are weak. To be strength to us, to stand with us in our time of need. There's a scripture that I love, and it's from 1 Corinthians 12, that talks about the body of Christ. And I'm going to read some of the scripture from verses 12 through 26, kind of jumping through here. But it starts in verse 12, for, as, for just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. We all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Jumping down a few verses. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. I'm going to pause there. If you feel like you're a weaker part of the body right now, you're indispensable. It's nothing to be ashamed of. You belong in this family. You belong here and you're needed. And on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow the greatest honor. But God has so composed the body. God has intentionally brought the body together, giving honor, great honor to the part that lacked it. That there may be no division in the body. Get this, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, we're looking at Peter, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. I love this scripture because it gives us this beautiful picture of a body. A body that parts of it are weak, parts of it are, are worn down, and it says, but there's other parts that can be strength to that part. A body that's intentionally designed, composed by God, as it says in verse 24, made to care for each other, suffer together, and walk in joy and honor together. Church, I want to say this, this is why we believe so deeply in life groups. If you've been to church before, you've heard us talk about life groups. If not, these are small group communities that meet throughout the week, mostly in homes. I want to say, 
What's interesting is Peter's prayer team is not the prophetic ministry team of the church. Yes, there are times and places for you to go get freedom prayer, for you to go meet with people who have a gift of intercession, who have the gift of prophecy to meet with you. But the people that stood up for for Peter on his time of need were his house church. It was the people that had met in a house together and knew each other deeply. It's the people that walked so closely in community with him that they would have known his need and his time in prison before he ever communicated it. Guys, there's this ever-increasing popularity, and maybe I'm stepping on some toes here, in, in the body of Christ and in culture right now, the church isn't necessary in our day and age. You don't need to come somewhere. You don't need to be a part of a group. You can get your teachings on YouTube. You can get your self-care at the gym. You can get your worship on Positive Encouraging K-Love. But the truth of the matter is this. YouTube, YouTube won't be there for you when you lose your job. YouTube's not coming to help you giving you money in your time of need. The gym won't rally a prayer group when your family is in desperate need for people to stand around you. And Caleb won't stop asking for money, so I'm not listening to it anymore. (laughs) Anybody else, every time you turn it on, it's their like fundraising thon. I'm like, I only turn it on like twice a year and every time it's on them asking for money. I'm like, how is this? Maybe that's just me. But the truth is this. Jesus built his church to be strength to each other. Jesus constructed a body to be strength to each other in our times of need. And if you aren't in a life group, if you aren't in deep Christian community that studies the word of God together, that as a group honors the lordship of Christ in your life, that knows each other's needs, I just want to say that I think you're missing out. You're missing out on the top strength of the church. And that's us being a body that carries each other. It's so countercultural. It's not normal in the world but it's normal in the body of Christ. And we see this so beautifully lived out when Peter makes it out of prison and he finds the church gathered praying, honestly in disbelief that the miracle actually happened. Anybody else been there? God answers your prayer and you're kind of caught off guard. You're like, wait, oh, you actually did it. And I love this part of the story because it feels so human, right? Sometimes you read the Bible and you're like, you read the story of the Mount of Transfiguration and these like ghost people show up and it's like prophets of old and you're like I mean cool but like that doesn't feel like a human experience right this feels so human to me they're like no it's not Peter it's probably an angel shut the door and keep praying right they're like they're like shame this poor girl who's at the door and recognizes Peter's voice in Acts 12 13 through 16 it describes this like kind of chaotic scene uh, them disbelieving Rhoda and assuming it's an angel that looks like Peter. I'm like, wow. She didn't even see him, so I don't know why they thought he looked like Peter. She just heard him through the door. It's a funny scene, and I love that. I feel like it makes the Bible feel a little more approachable to me. But Acts 12, I think, doesn't just show us the power of the church gathered. If there's any parents in the room, I believe that Acts 12 is a model for how we're supposed to raise our kids. You saw earlier, I've got almost a 10-month-old, and I've loved becoming a parent. I was a kid's pastor for five years and just loved the, that season of life, of kids being raised. Of Their hearts are so soft to the imprint of the Holy Spirit. Their hearts are so soft for faith to move. Biblically and historically, Rhoda was a maidservant, which was believed to be about a preteen girl, somewhere around 11, 12, 13 years old. And she's seen up late with the church. Peter was already asleep during the night. So it's clearly late enough that the the sun is down. 
they're asleep, and she is seen up with the believers contending in prayer. And I love, too, that she happens to be the one that sees the miracle come to pass. She becomes the first witness of the miracle of Peter being released. And I want to say this to the parents in the room. Don't leave your kids out of being the church. I know it's inconvenient. I know it makes life group hard. I know it makes going over to a friend's house harder because you got to do it before bedtime, but after the last nap, and it gets chaotic, and you, you've got to start throwing sports in there, and high school, and cars, and your jobs. And it's complicated. But I want to say, parents, we can't leave our kids out of being the church. And as a parent, our temptation can be to shelter or cover our kids from the things of this world. And let, let me say with a caveat, yes, that is right. There are things your kids should not be looking at. There are things you need to be the gatekeeper of your house for. But our kids are not made to be sheltered from the needs of this world. Our kids are made to be invited in. In fact, Jesus said that he actually exemplified the face of children. He said, pray like the children, have faith like them. Unless you have childlike faith, there's actually not a space for you in heaven. You must return to being like a child. Jesus himself showed that there is a place for them in the body of Christ. And parents, I just want to encourage you in the room, as a child who was brought into the prayer room on late nights, as a child who was not sheltered from the needs of the world, but instead brought in and trained and coached on how to walk out in prayer, how to, our default to be faith, how to give generously of my tiny piggy bank when there were times of need in our life group, I want to say, I don't resent my parents for it. And I know there's a fear out there that we're going to mess up our kids that we're going to, our kids are going to resent church or they'll walk away. But let me say, I cherished those years. I still do. So thankful. My mom's watching online. My sister just had a new baby. Baby Landry, hi. I love you. My mom's watching. Thank you. So thankful for parents that said, we're going to raise our kids in the church and in the needs of the church. And sure, there's relational complexity and there may be things that your kids need to work through, but I would much rather pains be worked through with people that have the same beliefs about forgiveness, the same beliefs about grace, the same beliefs about our Savior, than have to work through that with people that don't have that foundation. I'm raising my kids in the church. I want to encourage you to as well. I want to say this. There's a moment in my life that I got to live a moment much like Rhoda did here in Acts 12. See, in 2001, it was a part of Antioch Waco at the time. It had just been a few years old, and we had sent some young women over to Afghanistan to meet practical needs and share the gospel. In fact, they were quoted saying, we want to go to the place that has the most needs that Jesus can meet. So they go over, the two of them, and they're meeting practical needs, and as many of you know, something crazy happened in 2001. It's what we now call 9-11. They're over there in Afghanistan, and as the U.S. starts to respond to the 9-11 attacks, they're taken, kidnapped by the Taliban. Our family, our extended family abroad, taken by people with bad intentions. And I want to show you a video here. It's a couple minutes long, so we're going to dim the lights. We're going to move out of the way. And I want you just to watch what the response of the church was in this time of need. We're driving home from vacation, actually, and it's August 2nd, and we get the phone call 
Heather and Dana had been picked up by the Taliban. And immediately I just called uh, back and I said, call all the life group leaders, set up 24-hour prayer, let's go. That night I came in with my sleeping bag and um, man, I, uh, yeah, I was just prepared to be up all night, not knowing how long this would last. And uh, the prayer room was filled. Our whole church really did respond. We were meeting all the time to pray and intercede. I ended up going over there thinking I would be gone a week or two and was gone almost exactly 11 weeks. I literally learned to stand on the Word, praying like crazy every day. Whenever People have to rally together uh, to see God come through in an impossible situation. Something happens that pulls us together. And we became such a people during that time. So it was really exciting when he, we got the call that, that Dana and Heather had been released and there was going to be a worship service. So we all got in our cars and went to church. It's so exciting and just sweet to see the fruit of all of our prayers answered. Everybody, I knew everybody's going to congregate, you know, here and such celebration. The worship that happened was all very spontaneous um, because there was no time to prepare for it. We, we didn't even have an hour to figure out what was going on. I remember thinking, God, what's on your heart right now? And him saying, what's on Dana and Heather's heart right now? When I heard him say that, I just started singing, Jesus loves Afghanistan. After being in Islamabad with them and a debriefing, I'm flying back a week later, I'm gonna preach on Sunday morning. And I said, God, what do I speak on after all this has happened? And the Holy Spirit speaks to me, tell the congregation to return to their first love. And I was like, Lord, that sounds like a rebuke, right? And he was like, no, 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 no. Just remind them that we're not the Heather and Dana church. We're not the church that saw the girls in Afghanistan delivered. We're the church who love Jesus, who love others, who love the lost. Call everybody back to simplicity of loving Jesus because I've got more than one mission for this community. I've got a mission for them to change the world and change lives locally, nationally, and internationally. One of the most important parts of our church life here has been that it's been about family. It's not been about the adults, but it's been a place where we could pull our kids in and, and let them be a part of this vision too. What an incredible story, right? It's amazing. I can remember being a seven-year-old in the room. Every night before bed, my family would, would come together and we'd pray, Lord, release Heather and Dana. God, set them free, break them free. And I can remember one night getting to skip out on bedtime, just like Rhoda, because the news came, they'd been released. They'd been rescued. God had come through. And we show up, like you heard the, the worship pastor James Mark saying there, we show up and there's just this spontaneous party of celebration that the miracle we had been contending for had happened. And it's so funny, I'll, I'll never forget re-watching some of the, the news footage of it because when we show up to the church, there's like 12 or 15 national global news sources parked in our little tiny church parking lot. It's an old grocery store. And they're broadcasting this worship event live and the news anchor is heard saying, and we go live to Waco, Texas. And they, they flash in and right then James Mark starts singing, Jesus loves Afghanistan. Jesus loves Afghanistan. And they 
are, you know, on global news. They don't know what to do about it. So they flash it back to the anchor, and the anchor is, there's, there's video of him staring at the camera, and he goes, well, you heard it. Jesus loves Afghanistan. <laughs> Let's go to commercial. Uh, just like bails out as fast as he can. But here's what I want to say. It was such a gift to me, a foundation moment for me to be able to contend for a miracle for those who are in desperate need, and then to be able to stand at the end and celebrate with the family of God. If you've been around Antioch, Austin for a while, you know that we had a moment where we needed a miracle. Our senior pastors, Liz Griffin, had a massive stroke. And it left the leadership of church at the time to three people who were basically kids. Me, Emily, and Moses Chun, all under the age of 23 at the time. And what do we do? We, we said, we've got to rally 24-7 prayer. And it was beautiful. We made a, a Google Doc. I was trying to find it to put it on the screen. I couldn't find it before this week. But we just made a Google Doc and started sending it to our friends. Hey, we've got to be praying around the clock. From the moment we learned it, we had eight straight days of 24-7 prayer where there was not a minute missed. That's over 160 hours of constant intercession. And Liz pulled through and it is healthy today. And we love Liz and we're so thankful that God rescued her. But it took the church standing when she was on a hospital bed. And I just want to say, you guys, the reason why we are a body, the reason why God gave us Acts 12 is because we will have times in desperate need where the most energy we can muster is to be asleep. But the church can be awake. The church can be around us. We're going to go into a time of ministry time together, and I'm not going to ask any leaders to come to the front. I'm not going to ask uh, our team to pastors to fill the front. What we're going to do is a little bit different today. In just a second, if you are in a place where you're like, I need a miracle. Maybe it's something physical in your body. Maybe it's restoration to a family member that you're pretty much convinced is far gone and you can't contend for it anymore. Maybe it's a kid that's left the church or left the house or forsaken you. Maybe it was a risky business move gone wrong. I don't know what your miracle you need is, but if that's you, in just a second, we're going to ask you to stand. And here's the deal. I know that's vulnerable. And if you choose not to stand, that's up to you. But if you would, I'm going to encourage you to stand in a second because the power of being in the body of Christ is you don't have to stand alone anymore. Or you feel weary, tied down in your jail cell. You've got a body around you that wants to carry you. What we're going to do is the church is going to become the prayer team. Ones and twos around you are going to come around in prayer. So this ministry time is for all of us, whether you're like the church gathered in Mary's house or Peter in desperate need, we're all coming together into ministry time today in obedience, in response to the word of God being true in our lives. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. When you stand and when the people come around you, I just want you to share. What's your need that you have? Is it financial? Is it family? One of the words our team felt like God spoke this morning is that some of us have lost hope for a family breakthrough. And then we just need the, the church to come around us and pray where we can't anymore. Maybe that's you. You need to stand up and have people rally around you. But whatever your need is, I want you to share it with those around you. And 
for a song. We're going to have the band lead us in worship, but I want every single person in this room contending for a move of God. And if that's new for you or you're uncomfortable with that, man, just join a group and be encouraged by other people's prayers. There's power in us coming together. So I want to do this. If you are in need of a miracle today, would you stand up? Thank you, guys. I know there's people all over this room. Hey, thank you. Thank you for your boldness. Thank you for your vulnerability. Our band's going to lead us in worship. And right now, I want everybody else to look around you and go ahead and stand up. It's going to take a little bit of movement. It might be a little uncomfortable. But I want you to gather around these people. If you don't know them yet, introduce yourself. Get to know their name. This is not a sterile environment. We're, get, we're getting in this together. I'm going to pray for us, and then our worship team is going to just start leading us in worship. But I, just don't wait for us. Don't wait for us. Y'all gather around them right now. Jesus, we just declare that you are a God of miracles. Jesus, we declare that you have power. Jesus, we declare that the strength of the body is that we get to be strength to each other in our time of need. Lord, I pray right now, would you rise up your church, God? Lord, raise us up to be strength to each other in our time of need. Lord, thank you that you've constructed the body intentionally. And we ask today, would you pour out your miracles in Jesus' name?